Uh, Psalm 13, uh, page 534. <clears throat> to the choir master, a psalm of David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul? And have sorrow in my heart all the day. How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice, because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. And keep that passage open on the pew beside you. We'll be looking at that in a minute. But before we do that and before the kids go out to Sunday school, we're going to sing... One more time, number 256 in the praise book. God moves in a mysterious way, which speaks about that, that mysterious providence, that sovereignty of, of God, which Henry was just mentioning, how, how God uh, works in ways that we can't always understand, we can't always see, but we know, as we read earlier, he's working all things for our good and for his glory. So let's sing of that, two, five, six. Lord, we ask that you would teach us to pray this morning. We thank you for the Psalms. We thank you that they are the prayer book, the song book for the church. Help us to pray like King David. Help us to pray ultimately like and through our King Jesus, the one who himself offered up prayers and cries and tears and was heard because of his reverent submission. We pray that your word may bring instruction and encouragement and comfort and ultimately that it might point us to King Jesus, the one who right now is, is risen and reigning and ruling at your right hand and is returning to bring all things new. So bless your word to us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, here in this psalm, Psalm 13, we find King David, the one who was described as a man after God's own heart. We find him living life under a dark cloud, as we hear him lamenting that all is not well in his life. The wonderful thing about this psalm and about other psalms of lament is that they give us the language to express our griefs and our sorrows, our sufferings and our pain. But not only do they give us the language, not only do they give us the words to express our feelings to the Lord, but they also give us the permission 
the encouragement to be completely real with God. We're told in the heading that this psalm of lament is, is to the choir master. Which means that this psalm, King David wanted the words of his lament, the language of his experience to be prayed by, to be sung by the people of Israel as a whole. This psalm of lament in God's sovereignty finds itself in the songbook. Of the church. And so, if you're here this morning and the, the climate in which you find yourself living, if it does feel dark and gloomy, then I hope and pray that this psalm will give you the language, the permission to voice your laments back to God before his throne. And if you're here this morning and you, you feel as if, well, actually everything's going okay. All is, all is kind of well in my world right now. Then I hope and pray that this psalm will enable you to weep with those who are weeping. And it will teach you what to do and how to pray when you do encounter those times of suffering and pain. I trust that together we'll learn from David the path from anguish to assurance. The way from screaming to singing. So as we get into this psalm, let's firstly notice the weariness that faith knows. The weariness that faith knows. Like uh, Led Zeppelin's immigrant song, this Psalm begins with a scream, with a cry of desperation. Do you see verse 1? How long, O Lord? This is not the, the sort of gentle, inquisitive, how long till we get there? That your child might ask on a car journey these summer holidays. No, this is the desperate cry of a weary believer who just can't take it anymore. Notice David's spiritual weariness. He, he feels the absence of his God. Verse 1, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? In Numbers chapter 6, the Lord instructed the priests how to bless the people. They were to say, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. David had known what it was like to have the blessing of the Lord's face turned towards him. He had known the comfort and the assurance and the peace of walking in fellowship with his God, with his good shepherd. But now, do you see, David laments the apparent loss of this blessing, the blessing of the Lord's presence and the Lord's peace. He feels as if God's forgotten him. He feels as if he's, he's out of the Lord's sight. 
and out of the Lord's mind. Perhaps there's been times in your life when you've said with David, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He leads me. He feeds me. He cares for me. He loves me. He's with me. As you enjoy his face shining upon you, as you enjoy sweet fellowship with him, But perhaps now, like David here in this psalm, you feel as if the Lord's sort of playing hide and seek with you. And he just won't come out and be found by you. And so spiritually weary, as you feel the absence of his presence, you say, how long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from? And then notice David's mental weariness as he he feels the anxiety of his mind and of his soul. He says, verse 2, How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? You know, we hear a lot about concern for mental health and well-being these days, don't we? Seems to be all the rage. And, uh, and it's easy to sort of dismiss these concerns and have a sort of keep calm and carry on attitude to life. And yet we see here that not only did King David experience worsening mental health as he wrestled with his thoughts, but in writing this to the choir master, he's open about it, he's honest about it. Here's David turning in on himself, caught up with the anxieties of his mind and the anxieties of his soul. And we do the same, don't we? We replay our troubles over and over again in our minds. What if? Well, I can't do that. Well, how can that be? And that only serves to increase our anxiety. And notice that this isn't just a one-off for David. He says that he has sorrow in his heart all the day, constantly, relentlessly, seeming unendingly. Perhaps you feel at the end of your tether, mentally worn out, and you say with David, how long? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? And then notice what I suppose we could call the social aspect to David's weariness as he fears the triumph of his enemies. At the end of verse 2, How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Now David doesn't tell us uh, what particular situation he was in at this time. He doesn't tell us what particular enemy he's referring to. His enemy could have been his own son, Absalom, who rebelled against him. It could have been any number of enemies who sought to destroy him because of his faith in the Lord and because of his identity as the Lord's anointed king. And at this particular point in time, David feels as if his enemies have the upper hand. They're winning. They're triumphing. They're exalted while he's losing. He's been put to shame. 
Now, unlike many Christians around the world today, we may not have physical enemies who are seeking to destroy us. But we can and we do face opposition from others because of our faith in the Lord. Because of our identity as Christians. Because of our stand on the truth of God's word. We look around at our society and see how society treats Christians and it seems as if they're winning. God's enemies, they seem to be winning. They're given platforms, they're given positions, while Christians seem to be losing, discriminated against, no platformed. And it's discouraging, isn't it? It's wearisome. And what made David's weariness all the worse is the feeling of there being no end in sight. No light at the end of the tunnel. Four times he cries out, How long? How long? How long? How long? You see, it's one thing to experience pain and suffering if you know that there's a time limit on them. If you know that they're coming to an end. But when the days pass into weeks, and the weeks into months, and the months into years, and still nothing changes, still God seems silent, still your prayers go unanswered, still you're in pain, still you're suffering, still you're waiting... How long? Well, here's the weariness that David knew. Even King David knew. And here's something of the weariness that we know as well, isn't it? That even as people of faith, as Christian believers, we can and do experience. And yet while this psalm freely and honestly acknowledges the fact that that bleak despair and seeming unending weariness is part of the Christian's experience, this psalm doesn't leave us in anguish, but it wants to move us to assurance. It wants to move us from screaming at God to singing to God. And that brings us on to the next heading in verses 3 and 4 where we see the instinct that faith follows. The instinct that faith follows. In verses 1 and 2 we hear David in his weariness crying out to God who doesn't seem to be paying attention. So what does he do? Do you see verses 3 and 4? He says, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. What does he do? He goes on praying, doesn't he? That's what he does. Even though he feels as if God has forgotten all about him and not paying attention to him, he continues to cry out, consider and answer me. He says, Lord, I'm, I'm going under. Light up my eyes, strengthen me, help me, restore me. And notice the argument he makes in verse 4 for his deliverance. 
He prays that God will answer him, that God will deliver him, that God will help him. Verse 4, lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I'm shaken. As God's anointed king, David knows that his destiny is intimately linked to God's honour and his people's blessing. He knows that if he goes down, if the Lord doesn't consider and answer his prayers, if the Lord allows his enemies to triumph, then not only will David himself suffer, but God will be dishonoured because his king's been defeated. And if God's king is defeated, then God's people, the king's people, will suffer as well. And so he says to God, consider and answer me. Now praying to the God whom you feel has forgotten all about you doesn't seem to make much sense. It sort of allows the logic, but it's excellent faith. Here's what the pastor Sinclair Ferguson says about these verses. He says, just listen to what your soul is saying. Although you feel that God has deserted you, you know you haven't been. Or you'd never still be addressing him. When it looks as though faith has collapsed, faith is beginning to be operated. You see, your instinct to to scream at God, to cry to God, to plead with God in your weariness is not a sign of faithlessness. But rather it's a sign of faith. Notice how David cries in faith, O Lord, my God. Regardless of what was going on in his circumstances, he still knows that the Lord, the the faithful, covenant-keeping God of the Bible, is his God. The instinct that David's faith followed in the midst of his weariness was to keep coming back to God and to keep crying out to him. You see, what are the alternatives for the Christian? What are the coping strategies are there? We could try to escape our troubles in a few cans of beer or in a few Netflix box sets or by self-harming Or by going on a shopping spree. We could try to distract ourselves from our troubles by just engrossing ourselves in our work or our studies or our family and just making ourselves busy. Or we could try and suppress our troubles by burying them deep within our hearts and try never to deal with them. But you see, all of these wrong responses, these wrong instincts... They only leave us emptier and sadder than ever before. They can never take away the pain. They can never change our circumstances. They result in us getting angry at everybody, bitter at God, and just numb to life. No, the instinct that David's faith followed in the midst of his weariness is the instinct that our faith 
is to follow in the midst of our weariness, which is to keep coming back to the Lord our God, to keep crying out to him, consider and answer me, O Lord my God. We heed the invitation of our gentle and lowly saviour, the Lord Jesus, when he said, come to me, don't run away from me, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, And I will give you rest. Rather than trying to escape or distract or suppress your anxieties and your pain. Rather than running from God. Run to him for rescue and relief. As you make the instinct of David's faith. The instinct of your faith. In times of trouble. And that brings us to our last heading. As David shows us in verses 5 to 6. The anchor that faith holds. The anchor that faith holds. He says, verse 5, But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. You see how David begins this psalm in anguish. But now he ends this psalm with assurance. He begins this psalm by screaming. But now he ends by singing the Lord's praise. And so we want to, we want to know, well, what's happened? What's the reason for this dramatic turnaround from anguish to assurance, from screaming at the Lord to singing to the Lord? If you're anything like me, then you assume that what's happened has been a a change in his circumstances. We say the reason for such a dramatic turnaround must be that God has indeed, verse 3, answered his prayers. Perhaps there's been times when you've thought to yourself, you know, when, when God does consider and answer me, when my situation changes, When I get a a job or a new job, when I get a bigger house, when I get more sleep, when I get better health, when, 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 then, then I'll sing to the Lord. But I want you to notice that what happened to move David from screaming to singing was, well, it was absolutely nothing. Nothing changed, at least in his external circumstances. You see, David didn't simply decide to look on the bright side of life. He didn't try the the power of positive thinking. No, what changed, what moved him from screaming to singing was that he anchored his faith, he anchored his trust on the only sure and certain thing in life, that unchanging, unfailing, Love of the Lord that would not let him go. He says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. Regardless of how he felt and regardless of his circumstances, he anchors his trust in the unchanging, 
steadfastly loving character of the Lord. The Lord who revealed himself in Exodus 34 in this way. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. And therefore, even before there's been a change in his circumstances, he anchors his faith in the steadfast love of the Lord. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. You know, often when we say that the Lord has dealt bountifully with us, when, he's, when we say the Lord has been good to us, we, we think in terms of our good health or uh, perhaps money in the bank or healthy, re- healthy relationships. And when we experience these things, we, we say, the Lord has been good to me. And perhaps we take a picture of those nice things, we take a picture of that nice car, we take a picture of that nice meal, we take a picture of the, the score on the, on, the, on the TV screen, and we, we post it on social media, and we say, hashtag blessed. The Lord has been good to me. Here's the evidence. But here's the thing, what if you don't have those things? What if you're ill? What if you're unemployed? What if you're lonely? What if you're single? What if you're childless? What if you're bereaved? What if you're broke? Does that mean the Lord hasn't been good to you? Do you put the hashtag cursed on your social media? You see, church, the ultimate expression of the Lord's goodness, of how the Lord has dealt bountifully with us, is not in the temporary and insecure things that in his sovereignty he may or may not fill our lives with. Rather, it is the goodness of himself and the goodness of his unchanging character and the goodness of his unfading love and the goodness of his great salvation, ultimately expressed and perfectly displayed in the person and work of his son, the Lord Jesus. You see, like King David, King Jesus knew the anguish and agony of soul. Remember how he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, my soul is sorrowful even to death. And he fell on his face and he prayed, My father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Like King David, King Jesus knew what it was like for his enemies to to seemingly prevail. As he was betrayed and arrested and condemned and beaten and nailed to the cross. Like King David, our King Jesus, knew what it was like to have his God and Father hide his face from him as he cried out on that cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But unlike King David, our King Jesus not only felt the clear and present danger of of sleeping the sleep of death, but he actually did give up his spirit. 
and die on the cross and was buried in the tomb. Unlike King David, our King Jesus, his body did not see decay because the Lord raised him from the dead on the third day and exalted him to his right hand and has given him an everlasting dominion and a kingdom that will never end. And therefore, ultimately, it's Jesus, it's great David's greater son. It's Jesus, our ultimate worship leader, our ultimate choir master. It's him who leads us, his weary people, in singing this psalm of lament back to God. It's Jesus who we're told in Hebrews chapter 5, during his life on earth, offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Ultimately, it's as we anchor our faith in Jesus, our risen King, that we are moved from anguish to assurance, from screaming to singing. Let me encourage you to anchor your faith in Jesus, the one who experienced the full measure of God's curse in your place on the cross so that you could be assured of God's blessing. Let me encourage you to anchor your faith in the Lord Jesus, the one whom the Father did hide his face away from as he died in your place on the cross so that we can be assured that God's face will always be towards us in blessing and in love. Let me encourage you to anchor your faith in the Lord Jesus who exhausted his Father's wrath on the cross so that we can be assured of God's full forgiveness and perfect peace. Let me encourage you to anchor your faith in the Lord Jesus whose enemies didn't prevail and won't prevail. And so be assured that in the end, the Lord Jesus wins. And as people of the risen King, we will live in his indestructible kingdom for all eternity. As we anchor our faith in Jesus, we are assured of God's steadfast love and goodness following us pursuing us, hunting us down all the days of our lives. So let me ask you this morning, have you done that? Have you anchored your faith, your trust in the Lord Jesus? No, there's no one else who truly knows what you're going through. No one else who's able to bear your burdens. No one else who's who's able to love you with that faithful, unchanging love. There's no one else who's able to bear the burdens of your sin and your guilt and your past. No one else to bring the light of God's face, his favour, towards you. If you haven't done that already, let me encourage you, even this morning, to turn to him to turn away from your sins, to turn away from trusting in yourself or whatever else it may be and to anchor your faith in him. Because you see, the tragic reality is that those who refuse to anchor their faith in the Lord Jesus will face an eternity of crying out how long. Will face an eternity away from the Lord's face and favour. 
an eternity of weeping and wailing with no hope of light or life. So come to the Lord Jesus, even this morning. Roll your burdens, your fears, your weariness onto him. Trust in all that he's accomplished through his life and his death and his resurrection so that you too, like David, may rejoice, even this morning, in his salvation. And for those of us here this morning who have anchored our faith in Jesus, I encourage you to to do that afresh. You know, as Christians, it's not a a one-time deal. We're called to, as we read earlier from Psalm 34, to take refuge in the Lord day by day, to anchor our trust in him. And as we do so, we can rest assured that there's a day coming soon when we will never again cry out, how long? When Christ returns for his bride, the church, he will answer our how longs with no longer. To all of our, are we there yet? The answer will return, we are there. We are home. For he will wipe every tear from our eyes. And there will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain. For the old order of things will have passed away. And in anticipation of that day, we cry, come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your precious word. We thank you that your word is is real. We thank you that it's living. We thank you that your word speaks to us today, speaks into our lives, speaks into our circumstances. We thank you for the experience and the words of King David. We thank you for how he gives us the vocabulary, the words and the license, the permission to cry out to you. We thank you for your grace in his life. We thank you for enabling him to anchor his trust in your steadfast love and in your great salvation. Heavenly Father, I pray for all of us here this morning. You know what's going on in our hearts and in our lives. I pray for anyone here this morning who's not yet put their trust in the Lord Jesus. We pray Father, even this morning, that you would work in them by your Holy Spirit to cause them to be born again, to cause them to turn away from trusting in themselves or whatever else it may be, and to wholly trust in the Lord Jesus for life, for forgiveness, for salvation, for comfort. And for those of us who have already done that, please help us to anchor our trust, to anchor our faith afresh in you and in what you've done for us in the Lord Jesus. We thank you for our great King. We thank you that he was a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. We thank you that we have the privilege of being the King's people. We thank you that you have vindicated 
our King by raising him from the dead and seating him at your right hand. We thank you that we're in him, united to him. We thank you that we can pray like him and pray through him. And we pray that you will turn our anguishes to assurance, our screaming to singing. We pray that you might do that in our, in our circumstances, in this life. But we thank you that we have the hope that one day soon, when Christ returns, you will do that for all eternity. And so help us to keep on trusting and to keep on looking to you. We pray this for your glory and in Jesus' name. Amen.